We're in a bunch of places this morning, so I'm just going to suggest that you just look behind me as we get there, um, especially because one of the passages that I had, <laughs> I got my verse wrong, and it's really awkward because the first one, like Romans, is supposed to be Romans 1.16, not Romans 1.18, and the difference is palpable. And so, um, funny story, one of those times I did that uh, in some sweet note I wrote to my wife when we were in college, one of those things where you put a verse in there and thought I was writing one thing from First Peter, and it turns out I was writing about Satan prowling like a roaring lion, and um, never very good with addresses. So, hey, a uh, couple things before we get started. First, um, so uh, I think Kent said it, or Abe said something about, you know, be sure to go up to Rick afterwards, tell him you love him. I'm sure there's going to be hugs involved. I need, I, I just need a favor from all of you. This shoulder is a little tender, Okay. I got a tattoo about a day and a half ago, uh, and for those of you who are questioning, and I have had this question about, um, I guess like how much, how much I'll think about <laughs> Holy Cross and things like that when I'm when when we we've moved. Um, the tattoo I got is is our cross, and so, well, not the new cross, the old cross. My cross. Um, not Bobby's cross. It's my cross. Uh, so there's, there's no better way, right? Think about you every day um, because cause that's the way things work. So, um, so yeah, I would, I would just say that. The second thing is, um, gosh, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 30 minutes. But what I, would, what I would encourage you with is um, please do not let my affect fool you. Um, one of the broken parts in my story is that I had to learn growing up to deal with things myself. And a lot of times what that meant was like my needs and my emotions were too much for people and um, not, th there was no one available to help with that, which meant that I became very good at just kind of moving past it. It doesn't mean that it's, there's nothing there. It just means I've, I, it's very difficult for me to be in the moment with it, if that makes sense. Please do not take that as like, look at this hardened, uncaring dude. He doesn't care a lick about what, that's not true. It's just, that's part of my brokenness. I would just ask for your grace in that, okay? All right, one more time, huh? Before we pray and get started, uh, the other thing I would like to simply say is what an incredible privilege it has been to be your pastor. I know that when you stand up here and you make a living talking, that most of the time people think that your job, or that what they get is they get to learn from you, but I have learned more about walking with Jesus from you than I guarantee you've learned anything from me. Um, I've seen you courageously walk with him in with choices that were difficult, uh, if not prohibitive. <laughs> uh, I've seen you, many of you, walk into uh, incredibly difficult parts of your stories and you've given me, even this idiot up here, the privilege of watching that and being a part of that. Uh, I've seen you love others without regard for yourself. I've even seen how many of you, if not pretty much almost all of us, including myself, 
have reoriented how you've imagined what church is, what ministry is like, what life is to be like. But, but probably more than any of that, um, and I do not take this for granted, you gave me a chance. You realize when I planted this church, and I know there's only a few of you still around, I was like 30. And I noticed some of you are like, wow, that old. No, no, that was not old. I was being young and stupid, and I was young and stupid a lot. Uh, and you gave me a chance, and I didn't earn that. You let an incredibly broken man, a dude so different culturally from many of you, many, many of you, <laughs> stand here each week and talk. I didn't earn that. You didn't have to listen to me. You didn't have to provide for our needs. You didn't have to serve week in and week out to make sure this could happen. You didn't have to do that. And you certainly didn't have to follow me in this crazy experiment we call Holy Cross. But you did. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that. Let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Father, what I want to do, and I know it's what we all want to do, but I want to, gosh... I want to make sure this happens more than anything else in the next 30 minutes. I just want to lift up Jesus. I just want to let him come to the forefront. Because whatever beauty we've experienced here in this place over the last several years, over a decade now, it's been because of him. It's been because of your will worked out through his work applied to us by the Holy Spirit. And so let that continue to be at the forefront. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So um, when I was in college, uh, up the road, about 30 minutes in Harrisonburg, um, if you were a student um, during the, the 90s, you probably went to Covenant Presbyterian Church, and the pastor there was a guy by the name of Phil Smulin. And Phil, during his ministry, had a huge impact in the lives of tons of people, not least of, of all students. During those, those mid to late 90s, I mean, I couldn't even count the number of college students that went into ministry from Covenant. I know that there's a number somewhere. Uh, I believe the year that I left for seminary, there was eight of us that went off to seminary, and that was just seminary. There was others who went in the mission field, uh, whether that's abroad or whether that's on a college campus. I mean, it was just kind of normal at that point, right? Phil left Covenant, I think in 05, I think that's right, 05, 06, somewhere around there, and I went to his last sermon, and what he spoke on was the centrality of the word of God, and he called everyone to that. And that was super important to Phil, super important to Phil, which does not say it wasn't important to Covenant, but it was, it was really important to him. It kind of defined his ministry. And, and I thought uh, that if I were to come up here and do something like that, it would make me feel really uncomfortable because who cares what's been important to me in my ministry. It, it, you know, God willing, and, and I know this will be the case, you know, in a few months, who knows how long, several months, there's going to be another person up here uh, full-time who's going to be preaching, and he'll, he'll have different things that are important to him in his ministry. And so what's important to me doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter I don't, what I want to talk about this morning is not what's important to me. What I want to talk about is what's been important to us. You see, when, I, when we started this church in 2009, I wrote, wrote up this document. Every church planner does it, and only church planners read it. It's your, your uh, vision, mission, and values. 
and uh, those values had a bunch of like really cool phrases attached to them. We were Holy Cross, and so it was all cruciform something. If you don't know what that word is, don't worry. We don't use it much anymore. Um, but it was, they all had these values attached to it, the values of an organization, which is very funny because that organization didn't exist, but we had values. Uh, a few years ago, we rewrote those to better reflect what we as a church value. We as a church. And that's what I want to talk about this morning because it's who we've become together, right? So we're going to do this in a, in, in a, in a few ways because we're just going to talk about each of them in turn, okay? And I'm going to talk about each of them in turn and then I'm going to talk about where they come from, like where we see them, and then why it matters, okay? So the first one that we want to talk about is that the gospel is the center. Now when I say gospel, and I know there's some folks visiting here and some folks who've only been here maybe a couple weeks when we say gospel, it's a very churchy term, but gospel simply means good news. Um, it is not good advice, right? The gospel is not, here's some good things to go do. It is a declaration of something that has happened. It is the central message of Christianity. It is a, it is a, it, it is a message about the finished work of Jesus, that he has lived for us, died for us, and has risen again for us. And that that needs to be, in, to say that the gospel is the center, means that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that good news, will not only be present in what we do here in this church, be present in how we talk about things, but it will be in the midst of everything we do. Like, it's not just part of what happens up here. It's not just something that gets tagged on at the end of a sermon. It's something that goes on in our groups, something in our children's ministry, something that goes on when we're ministering to teen moms. It's something that goes on when we're talking about why we set up chairs and why we do sound and why we're doing the worship team and why our group leaders are trained. The way. Everything is about, and at the center of everything, is the gospel, okay? And that we find in Romans 1, verse 16, not verse 18, okay? So let me get to that. Oh, before I do, this book, this book of Romans, and I preached through it recently. I think that's, those are on the website if you want to go back and listen to them. But the book of Romans is, is like a support letter. If you're a Christian, you've gotten support letters from missionaries before or something, and what they do is they kind of outline the ministry they're going to be doing. That's what Paul is doing here. He's writing a letter to a church that he's never been to, uh, but he hopes to go to because he's hoping that they're going to support him as he goes further west into Spain, which means that he's talking and explaining exactly what his ministry is all about. And he gets there first. The beginning after his, his whole like introduction, his whole like, here's who I am, I, I want to see you, I thank God for you, we get in the meat. 116, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. All right. When Paul says that the gospel is the power of God, we need to understand that what he means by that is that the gospel is God's way of doing things. That word power in the original is the, is the word we get dynamite from. It is the energetic force. It is the, the thing that pushes out everything that God does. And so when we talk about the gospel being the power of God for salvation, we mean, and what Paul means, is that salvation comes forward in and only through the gospel. But now, 
Here's why it's at the center of everything. Because when we say salvation, we mean more than just getting your sins forgiven. And I know that's weird because we're in the valley and getting saved is about getting your sins forgiven, right? I got saved in 02 or 06 or whatever, and I got saved back in Grandpappy's church and I went walked the aisle and I got baptized or whatever, right? Well, unfortunately, in the Bible, salvation is more than that. What, what biblically that is, is a little word called justification. Getting your sins forgiven is about justification. It is a part of salvation, and, and that just means get, being made right with God. Salvation includes justification. But it also includes this other word that we call sanctification. That means being made more like Jesus. It also includes a word we call glorification, which means finally and fully being rid of sin when Jesus returns. All of that, Paul says, the way that moves forward, the way God does that in our lives, is through the gospel. You see why this matters? We'll get to why it matters in a second. But, but purely the, the force of it is, it's not just getting in to the faith. It's not just getting in the kingdom is part of salvation, and that's where the gospel comes in. But growing in it, becoming more like Jesus, maturing in your faith, learning how to walk with him in community is not about trying it out and trying harder. It's about the gospel of Jesus empowering that. So why does it matter? Why is this one of our values? Well, my guess is you could tell me. My guess is that many of you here are here because you would either experience church as a place where you couldn't measure up or a place where you had to put on a show. Any takers on that? You don't have to raise your hand. That comes later. Um, this happens. That kind of thing happens. You know, for me, it, was, it would have been coming into a place thinking I couldn't measure up, right? That's some of us. That's where we fall. We don't even pretend. Like, we can't even pretend. It's like, I could pretend to be good, but it's not going to work. Others of us feel like we have to put up a show. And that kind of thing happens when we forget that the only way to see growth in our life, the only power for our salvation, isn't coming from us. It comes from Jesus. It comes from him because our problem is not that we're not good enough, it's that we're independent. And our independence can only be solved by trusting in him and not in us. It matters because stop it and do better don't work. They don't work. You know this. I don't have to tell you this. They don't get to why we do things. And it matters because the reason we turned away from God in the first place, the reason why we still do it every morning and every afternoon and every evening and the little things we do, say, or think is because we've doubted God's good heart for us. That's what happened in the garden. What was read this morning? That, like, that's what happened in the garden. It wasn't about a fruit. It resulted in a fruit. It was about the fact that we suddenly had a doubt in our minds that God actually was for us. And because we didn't think he was for us, we had to be. And the gospel is the only answer to that. Because it's the only thing that says, don't you understand? He's gone after you while you hated him. And he loved you until he died. How do you doubt his good heart anymore? 
It matters. Because everything in the Christian life is grace. God has never and will never owe us anything except judgment. We are rescued by grace. We have what we have by grace. We grow by grace and we persevere in the faith by grace. The truth and the transforming power of it is one of our values, not just because we are persuaded by the scriptures, though that is central and first and foremost, but also because we see the fruit of it. I see the fruit of it right here in front of me as these lives have changed. So that's our first value. Our second is that community is key. You you know, you've heard me say this a ton of times. Kent started to say it. I think Sam even has started to say it. We do three things around here, right? We do what we're doing here. We do worship, do mission to our city, and right in the middle of both of those things, and strategically in the middle of the two of them, is we do groups. An environment for community. And when I say community, I don't just mean like a group of people that we like and hang out with. Because that's kind of, that that is community, but that's not Christian community necessarily. You can be Christians in a community and not have Christian community. It's different, and I'll get to the difference here in a second. But the place that we find this is in Ephesians chapter 4. And in this letter, again, by the Apostle Paul, he's engaging in a serious way both theologically and practically what it means to be the church what it means to be disparate people brought together and what's important here in the midst of all of this is how he talks about it okay so Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 16 you heard this not too long ago a couple weeks ago I believe and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or the shepherd teachers, depending on your translation, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to measure, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer may be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Let's just stop there. What is important here is that Paul lays out all of these different gifts and and offices, and then he says that their job is to equip the saints, that is us, for the work of ministry. You see, like I said, Christian community is different than other community. Like, um, if you were to uh, travel to a major sports venue this afternoon, there would be one type of community, right? Generally, it's organized around a certain color or mascot or, or city. That is a certain kind of community. In a sense, I think it's a little bit of a mockery of true community, of Christian community. What Christian community is, is not just a bunch of Christians getting together and hanging out. It's community centered around the gospel. And, and why that matters is because the role of a pastor, of an elder, even of a deacon is to equip and empower those that aren't those things to do ministry in community. That that is, in fact, what we, us in the vocational line of this whole thing, are called to do. 
And so that means that the church does ministry together to each other, to the world. They apply the gospel, organized around the gospel to one another and to those that don't know. And this is why um, that, that theologian I talk about all the time when I lay out this quote, Leslie Newbigin says that the church is the plausibility structure for the gospel. And what that means is that you and I and those that don't believe at all begin to believe the gospel more and more as we not only hear it, but see it and experience it lived out in the lives of other people around us. Okay, so why does that matter? Man, there's a ton of reasons why I could say that it's one of our values. Um, But I'll just go with this. If the gospel is the center, one of the ways it becomes the center of everything and of our lives is by being fully known and completely loved. Right? I mean, think about that. I want you to imagine, if you're new to Holy Cross, maybe you've not experienced that. Maybe if you aren't new to Holy Cross, you haven't experienced that. But I want you to imagine that for a second. I want you to imagine being in a group of people who know all of your junk. And you know what I mean when I say that, right? Like the things that you don't, I mean, you, you look pretty. You prettied up, thank you. You all prettied up to come here. But the stuff that's like, not. What if they knew that? What if other people knew that and they loved you? You see, that's not something that can happen if you're alone. Nor is it something that can happen if you think you always have to measure up. But God's design for us was and is to be in community And that means for the church to be the church, a community, community has to be a vital part of what we do. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask for favor. It's my last Sunday. I've never done this to y'all. I'm doing it now. Please bear with me. If you have come to faith or come back to faith in one of our small groups, would you raise your hand? Please be brave. Be brave. Nice and high. I want everybody to kind of look around. Okay, cool. If you have had your life significantly changed by being in one of our small groups. Raise your hand. Mm. Thank you. The gospel is what builds this kind of community. And when the gospel builds this kind of community, that community becomes resilient and powerful. Because you see, the gospel is not just about our relationship with God. It's about our relationship with each other. If the gospel is true, we don't have to pretend with each other. I don't have to pretend to you that I'm like some kind of spiritual giant, which I'm not. Don't let the standing high on the stage fool you. It doesn't, like, I'm not, if if I've ever been on a pedestal for you, by God's mercy, hopefully he kicked that sucker out so that you saw exactly who I am. We don't have to pretend that we're uber spiritual. We don't have to pretend that we are who we are because we're smarter, better, or harder working than someone else. It's all by grace and we don't have to put on a show anymore, right? So when we're in a community where that is believed and practiced, it melts away our shame. It helps us believe and it propels us towards change. It breaks down our defensiveness. It helps save our relationships, our marriages. So why does it matter? Because if we're being honest, isn't that what all of us want from church? This is a part of it, sure. But isn't that what we want? So that's the second 
the gospel is center, community is key. The third one is that Christianity is mission. And that we find in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. I'll let you turn there or look at it behind me. So Jesus has this big time uh, sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, what he's doing uh, throughout the whole thing, and I know if you grew up in churches, different churches have different ways of looking at this. I think if you're being honest with it, you have to understand that he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount as a way to, uh, be, and it's, some of those things are crazy, right? Turning the other cheek, which sounds really good. Good luck with that. Uh, He's, in, he's, he's focusing the law in on our hearts, but what he's doing is not simply showing us that we can't do it. He's, he's showing us what life in his kingdom is meant to look like. And in the midst of doing that, in the midst of doing that, he throws in this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. All right. So these concepts of light and darkness are all over the place in the Bible. Right? One, of our, one of our Advent readings, I don't know if we're doing it this year, but one of them that we generally do is right, um, that for those who dwell in darkness, a light has come. Dwell in deep darkness, God has shown a light. Like, that all the time, that metaphor is meant to communicate something clear, that those in darkness cannot see where they're going, cannot see what life is supposed to be like, and are constantly walking around according to their ideas and not God's. And that makes sense, right? You're walking through a room that's pitch black, you don't have any idea if you're going the right way or not. You're probably going to stub your toe on something, especially if you've never been in the room before. Be really nice if the light was on. Show you how to navigate things. And so for Jesus to say that the church is meant to be the light of the world means that you and I and us, probably better would be us, that we are meant to be the solution to that problem. That if the world is in darkness, the solution is the light, and the light is here. This is the light. You are the light of the world. We are to push back darkness wherever we find it. We do that through word, by proclaiming the gospel, obviously. We do that through deed, by practicing the gospel and its results. And what do I mean by that? Enacting the gospel means being turned outward towards others instead of inward towards looking out for number one. And when we do that, when we turn ourselves outwards and love others in the same way that we have been loved, being sent by Jesus as he was sent, then what we do is we show the world a different way of being. So why does that matter? Well, it matters because it reorients us from our normal and natural state of seeking our good. And I mean that both individually, when we seek our good individually, and corporately, as a tribe, right? See, I think a lot of times what we think is, yes, the gospel frees me to look out for my own good individually, but now I can look out for the good of us. Not wrong, necessarily, but incomplete, 
And what the gospel is supposed to do is not simply create a different loyalty. I have a loyalty to myself. Now I have a loyalty to this group of people and we will take care of one another and create a nice little insular box and within which we will flourish and welcome anyone who wants to come. Again, is that wrong? Not necessarily. If it, but if it stays that way, yes. Because the point of the gospel is to turn outward so that we as a group, we've been convinced individually, I don't have to look out for myself because God has looked out for me. There's nothing that anything can give me because Jesus has already given me everything. He's taking care of my deepest needs so there's nothing I need from anyone. I can get it from him. And he has provided for the deepest needs of my soul so I could be turned outward. And that is true individually and that's true corporately. There's nothing we have to get from each other from the world, we, we've gotten it all from Jesus. And so because of that, we can risk much. We can take the gospel to people who don't believe it. We can go and serve those who will never care. We can go and show the world a different way of being. Way, a new way of being human. The way that Jesus has pre presented it. To show that God's kingdom is actually breaking into this world. And that it's not just for those who are in it. It matters because mission work is not, listen to me, mission work is not a unique calling. It is Christianity. Foreign mission work is a unique calling. Some of you may be called to that. That's great. Some, you know, we support foreign missionaries. They are, they are people who go into areas in which, you know, more than likely, there is not a whole lot of church to enact that and to proclaim that in their community, Right? You know, I think, you know, the, the chases are a good example. I think there's like one-third of one percent of the Japanese population is Christian. Not a whole lot of possibility there, right? Go through your whole life, never meet, a, never meet a Christian. So we send people there to places like that because someone needs to enact that. Someone needs to proclaim the gospel. Someone needs to enact the gospel. That needs to happen. But it also happens here, right? The rest of this making disciples, being a blessing to your community, turning your eyes towards those who aren't in yet. That isn't weird. That's being a Christian. And it matters. It matters because this is the reason why some of you are Christians today. You are a Christian today because people in this church saw their lives as being caught up in the story of God to see his kingdom come and more people come to know him. And you're sitting where you're sitting right now because of that. We approached you the way Jesus approached us by taking on flesh, by speaking our language, by having compassion on our failures. Christianity is mission. Lastly, as hard as it might be to believe, lastly, children of the future, and forgive, forgive the nearness to the Whitney Houston song, God Rest Your Soul. I hate that song, by the way. The song is terrible. Um, it's pretty terrible. Like, let's be honest. Whitney could make anything sound awesome, but that song is terrible, okay? Greatest love of all. All right. Even if you're new this week, you can probably tell 
that children are a thing here, right? Half the church got up and left when I started talking. They're everywhere. But let's be honest. There's no church that kind of says children don't matter, right? Right? So what's the difference? Well, let me read you something from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 12 to 14. To the rest I say, not I, or I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. That probably seems weird, right? We're going to talk about kids from a passage on divorce. Ah. Um, But it's actually very important. It's one of these nuggets that gets dropped into a passage that, that seemingly, especially for us Americans, seems random. But for those who grew up in a Jewish worldview, who were adopting uh, Christianity as the fulfillment of their Judaism, this this wouldn't have made this would have made so much sense. It wouldn't have even needed explanation. As a matter of fact, Paul states it without explanation. He uses this fact, the holiness of the kids of at least one believer, as the reason, not not a teaching point, as the reason why to do something else. Right? So it's not random. Okay, but what does this even mean? Well, here's what we need to see. The first is a little idea that, that um, we can call a covenantal distinction. Now, I know that that's not going to make sense to any of us, uh, so let me, let me flesh that out. When, um, when the Bible calls things holy, okay, when it's using that in regards to us or to things, it doesn't mean moral perfection. Okay? As a matter of fact, even when it talks about God, it doesn't mean moral perfection in abstraction. To be holy is to be other, it's to be set apart. And so God is holy other because of his moral perfection, but it is not the definition of his holiness. Does that make sense? It's as if like holiness is part of that, or, or perfection is part of that, but it's not all of it. Because God is wholly other than us for a lot of other reasons than just because he's morally perfect, right? Like as in, he's everywhere at the same time. He's every when at the same time. We can't do that other, okay? I think we get that. Now, when, when it is talking about us, it means set apart for him, specifically his. His. It means, so when he's talking about us, When he's talking about uh, specifically his people, he means they are part of his covenant. And a covenant is a promise-bound relationship. You've heard me say that. Some of you heard me say it so much. It probably makes you nauseous to hear me say it again. So when he's talking about your children being holy, what he means is they are part of my covenant. And I know that's weird to many of us because we grew up in traditions where that was, we we didn't see it that way, okay? But follow me. Because frankly, 
it's hard to, not, hard to get around this unless you go with this. He, when he's talking about people, holy people, saints, same word, etc. They're, they're members of his covenant. Okay? And that means that the children of at least one believer are members of his covenant community. Members of what we would call his church. And that means that a church that isn't giving attention to ministering to kids, which, well, like, who, who doesn't do that? No, no, listen. A church that isn't giving attention to ministering to kids in the same kind of effort that it is for adults is ignoring a vast part of its covenant community. Okay? So why does that matter? Well, you know the stats, right? Some of you are part of those stats. Kids who grew up in church and then walked away. Some of you are here because the churches that your family has gone to for generations hasn't seen a kid in years. And you're like, I got kids, I gotta go take them somewhere. There's no kids here. It matters because we have a responsibility to help our kids learn what it means to be in a church. That a lot of times those stats happen because that's never happened. It's been very well-meaning in ministering to those kids, but learning how to be in a church was never part of it. To help kids learn to be in a church means that we don't focus everything on them. Because you know this, not everything is focused on you. Some of you are like, I hate that song we just did. Or later you'll think, man, that is, I just can't stand that one. But others of you are like, man, I really love it. Some of you are like, I wish Rick would talk slower. And others of you are like, I, I wish he'd talk longer. Let's keep going. Some of us in this room are like, I have got to find new chairs. Well, that may be all of us in the room. Um, I don't think there's anyone who finds those uniquely comfortable. So, but the point is, is that we have to help them see that that's not how the church works, which means we don't do a separate church with a separate worship team, a separate experience for them, because that means that when you have that, you begin growing up expecting that that's what church is going to be when you get older. And then when it's not, you're like, this is boring. This is useless. I will never forget, my wife and I came out of campus ministry. We were in uh, Campus Crusade, we became Christians through Crusade, we did small groups through the Crusade, and, and Crusade small groups with a bunch of college students are just intense, and everyone's focusing on like where they've struggled and all this stuff, and we got into, we got into a small group led by a couple, um, John and Angie Pearson, John and Angie are now, um, I think he went emeritus, but he was an elder at Tabernacle after they uh, moved from Harrisonburg, and in that small group, people talked about their jobs, and their kids. And my wife and I left probably the second week, and we're like, are they even Christians? <laughs> they don't talk about their sin and what's like digging it. Because <sighs> it had always been just people like us. Always in us, always about us, at least in our Christian experience. And because of that, we expected for church to be church, it has to be just like us. It matters because for kids to grow into adults who love Jesus, they don't need moralistic stories. They don't need lessons on how to be polite. 
They need to know what the gospel says to them in their experiences in elementary school, on the playground, in their families, with their parents, with their siblings, just like you and I do, because you and I know that someone, it, it really helps if someone is up talking to you about how the gospel applies to your life and actually gives you concrete ways, right? Because those connections aren't always the easiest to make. And so we approach them the same way I approach you, helping them understand the connections. Well, Rick. Can you just, I, listen, man, I can't say everything, right? But that's what we do with our kids' ministry. They need to bring the gospel to bear on their lives, not simply right behavior. They need to see, quite frankly, that even as church kids, they are lost apart from Jesus. And so they can have compassion on those that are apart from Jesus. And this is why, if some of you have wondered, why our kids' ministries move as they progress in age from a very classroom-oriented set to a group-oriented mindset. Because we want to help them learn how to live in church. And we believe, like I just said, that community is key. And so as they grow, that's what we're doing. We want them to know what it's like to be in a group and help others walk with Jesus just like their parents. And it matters because serving others isn't reserved for summer trips. It's a part of being in the church, whether that's welcoming people to church, setting up and taking down chairs, serving on the worship team, helping minister and disciple kids younger than them, whatever, right? It matters because this is not their parents' church. Kids, if you're sitting in here, look at me. Not everybody's looking at me. Look at me, kids. This is your church. You are members of this church. Sure, some of you not yet are coming up to take communion. That does not mean you are not a member of the church. This church is yours, not your, just your parents. It's ours. This, these four things, the gospel is center, community is key, Christianity is mission, and children are the future. When we sat down and thought, you know, a couple of years ago, we thought, okay, let's get rid of all these fancy worded things that nobody even knows what they are. They only make sense to other church planters, and that doesn't matter. What, what are the things that if, if we had to strip everything else down from our church would define it? That's what it was. The gospel is center, community is key, Christianity is mission, and children are the future. That is what this church has grown into, and can I tell you, I could not be more proud. God. The last few weeks, as this transition's been going on, I know it's been awkward for you, it's been awkward for me too. Almost every Sunday, what I've done right before I've left is I've stood right there at those steps, because I always park outside, and I've turned and I've looked. And I've watched people, I've watched new people who just showed up that, that week, still there. Because people are talking to them, showing them the welcome of Jesus. I've seen people praying for each other. I've seen people, you know, serving and doing their stuff. And I think to myself, wow, I am proud of this church. I could not be more proud. Are we perfect? No. No. 
I know you're junk. No, you're not perfect. But I could not be more proud of you. You see, the best thing about a value is that values can be applied in a bunch of different ways. I do not doubt, listen to me, this is very important. I do not doubt and I do not begrudge the fact that things will change here in the next couple of years. Of course they will. Of course they're going to change. I hope you give your next pastor freedom to, to lead the way that you've given me freedom to lead. And that doesn't mean he calls the shots. He's got a very strong session that has no problem telling him no. I guarantee it. They have cut their teeth on learning how to tell stubborn people no with me. Okay? They've learned it. They've learned it well. Sometimes too well. I do not doubt that things are going to change. Your next pastor will have ways of doing things that will help lead you all into the next chapter of God's story. He's writing for these church. But these values, I pray you never lose these. This is what has made this church so special. It isn't me. I, listen, that's not even false humility. I know that I've had a part in this, okay? I have had a part in it just like you've had a part in it. We have all played our part. But these values, when you, when you think, why do I want my neighbor to come be a part of this church? I pray to God it's not because he's got to come here, my preacher. I hope it's because this is a special place. Because that special place is a special place because of those values. Not because of what gets said here. Because of those values. And when a church is arranged around a set of values, like I said, it becomes resilient. It's not dependent on one person. It's not dependent on two people or four people. It's dependent on a culture. A culture that has come up around the idea that I can be myself in front of you. That that. If somebody's up here and they're putting on a good show, I'm not going to believe them. If they come and they, they make everything look nice and they, they talk as if sin were something that happened in their past, I'm going to go, you're a fraud. Why? Because I'm, that's not true of me. And if it's not true of me, it can't be true of you. And, it, and it's a group of people where you can come and you can, you can actually express what happened bad in your marriage that week or with your roommates, or with your kids, or your struggles that you don't have kids. And people aren't going to go, oh. They're going to go, is that it? Let me tell you one better. And then they're going to go, now how can we both walk with Jesus better? Let's help each other. And you want to bring them into that. You'll want to. That is what has made this church so special. It's because of what we have done together. Praise God for that. May he continue to form this church into a place governed by these values, shaped by his word. Would you pray with me? (sighs) You've done this work, Jesus. We give you the praise for it. If this is the first time we're hearing any of this, I just pray that you would help us fall in love with those things, whether, whether we end up here in this congregation or somewhere else. <laughs> Let's take those values because those, those things that you've formed here, they are awesome. They have changed me. They've changed us. Changed our kids. May it ever be so.
by your grace and your grace alone. Amen.